0: How's it going, everybody? Lucas here from Hockey-Tholsey, and today I have a very special episode, as I'm able to have on the head coach and general manager of the Charlton Islanders, my very own father, Jim Halton. How's it going today?
1: Very good, Lucas. Looking forward to being a guest today.
0: (laughs) About time I have you on, and should be a good one. So getting right into this, my mom and I picked out all these stories, and one that I always like every single time. You were a part of a very special 2005 World Juniors. Want to kind of bring us through that experience in North Dakota?
1: Well, it actually started the year before. I was fortunate enough to be a part of uh, two World Juniors in 2004 and in 2005. But the triumph of 2005 uh, helped overcome the heartbreak of 2004. Before we were in Helsinki, we'd had a magical ride all the way through. Had a 3-1 lead going into the third period against the U.S. Uh, the U.S. team that was favored to win, by the way, going into it. Uh, but it is the infamous pass off Braden Colburn's butt, Marc-Andre Fleury, um, a shot down the ice, trying to do the right thing, trying to clear it in a corner, inadvertently shot it off uh, Braden's shin pads and into the net, 3-2, and all of a sudden we lost some momentum. And before we could uh, regroup, our hearts were broken and we lost a gold medal. So fast forward a year, there's 12 of us, 11 players, and myself, that were fortunate enough to return. In North Dakota in 2005, and all the stars stars absolutely aligned that year. It was uh, NHL lockouts. We got Perti Bergeron back from the NHL. Plus, we had a number of guys who would have probably been in the NHL had it been a regular season. Mike Richards, Jeff Carter, Dion Phaneuf, just to name a few. And the star-studded cast. Uh, you know, Sid was on both those teams. Uh, an under double underage in Helsinki, and then 17 in um, North Dakota, but. You could see the greatness already, and it was just—it was a magical group and a magical ride, and a memory that will last forever.
0: Now seeing the town of Sidney Crosby for him being third in points leaders in the tournament, it shows how talented your team was. Then for the listeners in the gold medal game, Canada won six to one over Russia, and Russia had Ovechigan and Malcolm. So seeing those type of guys in the process. How incredible was it to see even Ovechkin at the young age, but Dion Phaneuf going after him and giving us some sore pains, taking him, him out early? Want to kind of go into more detail with that?
1: Well, you know, we'd had a bit of a history with uh, Malkin and Crosby. I had the good fortune to coach the under-18 team with this group of uh, kids who were born in 1985. We had won the Helsinki a couple of years before and had beat uh, Malkin and Ovechkin in the semifinals. and. We knew that if we could get to them physically, we'd have a chance. And this team, this team Canada, was on such a mission. Uh, Brent Sutter was a wonderful, wonderful head coach. He just he had a clear-cut, black and white mission from the beginning. And we wanted to play a a pure Canadian brand of hockey. You know, it's the old adage they expect us to be physical, so don't disappoint them. And I think we knocked uh, Ovechkin out of that game with a shoulder injury, and just it was top to bottom. I remember one time when both Bergeron and Crosby finished the hits on, on a, these guys together in succession when you have guys at the top of your charts finishing hits it's infectious throughout the lineup and there was a, there was a group that wasn't going to be denied we scored early in that game and took control had the crowd behind us and it was an incredible night
0: so even from the physicality from those players as they were ended up being NHL stars how much does that show that how you need to have a bit of grit in your game to go a long ways?
1: Well, I think uh, Canadian hockey has always been personified by guys that are willing to play uh, 200 feet. We hear that expression a lot. and it just means that you're equally adept on offense as you are on defense. And you hustle your ass back on a back check uh, to do what it takes for the team to win. And when you watch now through the, the eyes of experience and hindsight, you see what success these guys have had. And Bergeron will go down in history. as one of the best defensive forwards to ever play in the game. Sid Sid, he's easily one of the top five players of all time. But he's brought a different mentality. He's brought a grinder's mentality to a superstar role, unlike we've probably ever seen in the history of the game. So you're talking two guys in particular that are going to go down historically as the best that have ever played in their position. So to have had the opportunity to see them in their youth was pretty incredible.
0: So what did they teach you by viewing their skill? What were kind of the things at playing while coaching such high players If you're going to go into later doing some lockout camps in 2012 with those type of guys how have those top of the end guys um, taught you so much
1: well how important attention to detail is and that when your best players are your hardest workers then things are going to be uh, looking very fortunate for your club and I think both Sid and and Bergen, we, we were lucky we had a group with Jeff Carter we had Gatslav we had Fanoff we, we had Weber you know on and on I, I hate to list names because I'm going to forget some but they were on such a single-minded mission and, and there was nothing that was going to stand in their way of winning a gold medal and whether you played two shifts or they played 22 shifts it was complete buy-in and we hear a lot of these adages thrown out over time but the thing that separates winners from losers is that the winning group really does play for the front of the jersey and losing groups tend to you know think more about individual statistics and and, and fail to kind of abide by the mission of the team but this group was really special and I think one year round, guys, like I said, that's why he's won three Stanley Cups. That's why he's won multiple gold medals because, as the leader, all he cares about is winning. He doesn't care if he's leading in points. He doesn't care if he's the Con Smythe winner. He just wants the brass ring at the end of it. And that was this, for us the World Junior Championship uh, for the Pittsburgh Penguins since been three Stanley Cups.
0: That's for sure. And moving on, coaches always have their ups, which you're definitely at in your career, but there's always a down. I kind of want flip side. To the start of your career, when you're coaching for the North Bay Centennials, making $5,000 a year, selling photocopiers, then going on up to this stage, how was kind of the start of your career like?
1: Well, the start of the career was, uh, as you alluded to, I've been mean, selling photocopiers. I might have been the worst salesman in the history <laughs> of sales in the world. Um, 5000 bucks from the Centennials living in a basement apartment a wonderful uh, mentor by the name of Doug Penny, who was a Xerox agent in North Bay that overlooked my numerous deficiencies as a salesman to allow me to follow my passion to coach. But I tell anybody that asks if you want to get into coaching, number one, you better have plan B. You better have another source of income because early in your career, you're not going to make much money. Um, I was fortunate, I guess, in the fact that it was just me. I was single at the time. I could bounce around it. So I used to joke all I needed was uh, rent money and beer money, and I was good to go. But I think you have to be willing to pay the dues, no matter what the the job is. If you think you're going to jump into a a head coach job, I think you have to pay your dues. I think you have to trip and fall and pick yourself back up and learn from your failures. And I think your career is is a succession of that. I think you fail, you learn from it, you get back up, uh, you try again. And over the course of time, you probably put together a pretty interesting career.
0: And kind of touching on that right after the north Bay centennials we went to the mississauga mississauga ice dogs and don cherry was the owner of the team there's so many funny stories but that's for another time one that i want to touch on gets me every time so you're coaching for mississauga and there is a mascot and I kind of want to touch on that story
1: well as you said the the whole mississauga chapter is worthy of probably multiple podcasts uh, incredible experience to uh, Coach under one of my heroes in Don Cherry. One of my first games there, and I, you have to remember, I, I took over an expansion team in uh, late November. It was a great cup weekend. The end of November, when I took the job, and we were horrible. We were one of the worst teams in the history of Canadian Hockey League. So I'm getting interviewed by the local cable station, and my back is to the rink, and the reporter standing in front of me, and the camera's in front of me, but I can see into the hallway, and all of a sudden, I see a stretcher go running by with paramedics heading towards our dressing room. And I'm thinking, that's weird. It was a nondescript game. It hadn't been real physical. There was no real injuries. I'm thinking, I wonder, wonder what happened. So the interview is going on. In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, she's I hope none of our players are hurt. All of a sudden, I see the paramedic running back with the stretcher, and I see these big, puffy mascot legs. Our mascot was uh, Don Cherry's dog, Blue. It was a character depiction of Blue. And I'm thinking, what the hell is going on now? So the interview ends. I go back into the office, and Don's in there, and our governor, Trevor Whiffin is there Trevor's irate his face is all beat red he's like that son of a bitch I'm like what's going on what's going on he said oh, some punk uh, punched the mascot and he fell down the steps and Don looks and goes some punk Anyway, hey, oh what, 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 what do you think he goes, i was 16, 17 so, yeah. was he big well, yeah he was a big guy he was like 6'1, six, 6'2 six, pretty muscular Don says can he skate and <laughs> we both burst out laughing Don didn't care about the mascot being hurt he thought maybe we had a uh, another goon that we could dress and put on the ice so pretty funny story there was a lot of uh a lot of downs in the in the Mississauga ice dog days but a lot of funny stories that uh provided some levity for the situation
0: so as don cherry looking for a goon on to the next story later on in your career sad story but you coach jake more on the belleville bulls probably one of the biggest goons in ohl history so there's a fight with him and bill nickel and it goes on want to kind of tell it Tell
1: the viewers a bit about Jake. Well, Jake, uh, Jake's one of my favorite players I've ever had in 20-plus years of coaching. Um, he was from Napanee, Ontario, which is very close to Belleville. Uh, wonderful family. Jake's one of the best teammates that I've ever been around. And he's also, bar none, the toughest player I've ever coached in 20-plus years. A little bit smaller in stature, but a farm kid, uh, immensely strong, and could just flat-out chuck him. I mean, some of the best fights I've ever seen. Back in an era when there was a lot more fights, we don't see it much anymore. But, yeah, he was in Kitchener, and Kitchener's notorious for raggers row. Uh, guys sit behind the bench. Back then, there was no glass behind the bench. So these miserable old bastards just, just chirp us left, right, and center. So my assistant coach, James Boyd, who's now the general manager of the Ottawa 67s, this guy's right in his ear going on, going on. All of a sudden, Gilly wants the shot at Kinkle. So he says to me, Jimmy, I'm taking him. He just hops over the board. We kind of had a running agreement. I Jake wanted to go. just hop over and go, kid, I don't care. So he says, I'm taking nickel on him. It's okay, go. So Buddy turns around says, okay, boys, watch this. So the fight's across the rink from us, so we can't really see him. We just see Gilly just throwing bombs. He landed about 15, right in <laughs> Billy's mush. And Billy was a big guy. Billy was about six foot 6'4", and Jake's only about 5'9", five 5'10". Five so vastly of mass. But all we can see is this jackhammer right just feeding. feeding <laughs> fish into his mouth. And the guys behind us, are now they're all quiet. So Kinks gets done the fight, and I ended up coaching Billy a couple years later. He was a really good kid. But didn't know him at the time. He skates to the penalty box, which is, again, across the ice from us. And this look of horror from the timekeeper, you just see his face. His face just drops, his eyes bulge, and he starts frantically pointing for Billy to get off the ice (laughs) to the dressing room. So Billy turns, and now this is the first time that we've seen him since the fight, and his face is completely, the lower half of his face is completely covered in blood because Gilly smashed his nose into about a thousand pieces. There's blood (laughs) everywhere. The entire rink just went quiet. And Boyd, he just kind of turns and smiles at the two older guys that secretly didn't have much to say at this point in time. So there was a number of great stories with Jake. Uh, sadly, we lost him uh, years after that. And God rest his soul, we have wonderful memories of him.
0: Now, with Jake Gilmore, a goon like that, Ben Boyd kind of translates some of that into his game. Do you still think Gilmore could give it to Boyd?
1: That's a tough question. I wouldn't want to tell Ben that somebody could beat him, but... Um, Gilly's pretty good. Gilly's one of the best <laughs> I've ever seen. So uh, he'd give up. Uh, Jake would definitely give up some size to Ben. And they're two of my favorites. They're, they're very similar. They both have great personalities. They're both wonderful teammates. And because uh, Ben's 3 he's got a legit shot of playing pro. I, I think had Gilly not got hurt towards the end of his career, he had a shot of playing in the American League back then because there were so many fights. But sadly, we didn't get to see that one uh, play out. So hopefully we do with Ben.
0: Moving on, so Florida Panthers, there's so many great memories. Pete DeVore hired you there. You got to get pretty familiar with him. He went on to have a fabulous coaching career, and it's still going on. And right now, we're looking back at it. And One of my favorite stories of Florida that you told us. So is it true that there's a policeman that came in for goalies on practice days?
1: Well, it wasn't necessarily practice days, but we practiced at a community rink, which didn't happen a lot in Florida because there's not a big base of fans. But we were at a community rink one day, and there was a motorcycle cop there. And I see him. He's chatting with Pete by the side of the rink. And it's a bit of an optional skate, but we've got probably 12, 15 guys out for light skate, and There's some kids around watching. So Pete calls the guys in. We do a couple drills. He calls the guys in, and he said, yeah, hey, guys, I wanted to meet Pierre. Pierre is a motorcycle cop down here, but he's originally from Quebec, and he's a goalie, plays men's league. And, uh, one of his dreams always to be escape with the NHL or so, you know, we thought we'd bring him out and Pete says, I think it'd be a good idea if we did a shootout and we're all thinking, Oh Jesus Christ, we gotta be shoot at this poor guy. A <laughs> goalie. So he goes down and he's got the rick- rickety old gear. looks like you know, his gear is 25 years old and we're thinking, Oh boy, what's going to happen? Here? <laughs> yeah. And so the guys cluster up at center ice and Corey Stillman, you know, a thousand games played in the NHL, two Stanley Cups. So Stiller is like, he said, okay, I'll go first. And he, uh. So Buddy's down there doing his groin stretch, stretching the hammies out. Okay, you ready? Yep, yeah, yeah, sure you're ready. Okay, so we say on the whistle, we'll, we'll start. So Stiller circles around the bottom of uh, the center ice circle, comes up to the puck, and obviously most guys are gonna grab it and go in on the breakaway. Well, Stiller snaps one from center ice, goes bar down on the <laughs> floor basket before the guy can even blink. So that's his welcome to the NHL moment. And Stiller just smiles and skates straight off the ice. Guys telling us after I've never seen a shot like that in my life like well, welcome to the big leagues big guy so he
0: probably didn't ask come back on after that
1: No no there was no uh, there was no repeat performance for Pierre we cut Pierre and sent him down to the low minors
0: <laughs> And so your Charlestown on there's pretty talented team Xavier Seam, no Brett Budgel. as you said there's too many names so I'm gonna end up leaving someone out one thing what would you say your team needs work on to have a lot of success this season
1: well I think we have to uh, have great team chemistry I think any of the great teams we've had here or we talked about our experiences with world junior teams or when the team can become one and it's a group of 22 23 individuals that have to set aside uh, individual goals for the greater goal of the team and we hear it from every team in the world but you have to be willing to sacrifice. You have to give up a bit of yourself uh, to go far as a team. And we've had some teams here in the past that did that, and we expect this group to come together. And I think it's a process. We're only 10 games in. And I think uh, you know team-building stuff, road trips, uh, adversity, successes, all that goes together in the jumble of a season to bring a group close together. But I think that's our big mandate this year is you know, as long as we uh, become a band of brothers and play for one another, I think we'll have a lot of success.
0: So what are kind of, I know you told me, what. what are some of the little r- reminders daily that you're I- implementing to the guys?
1: Well, for us, it's just attention to detail. And I think that's a term, again, that we hear a lot in the coaching circles. But what it means is, uh, you know, hit the, hit the net with your shots, put the passes on your tape, stop and start. I mean, when you're having a bad day, find something to be good. Be, be sharp on face-offs. Know our systems. And part of the reason you have a system is so that five guys can think and act as one. And, you know if you don't have that then it becomes five individuals so a big part of that is just uh, reinforcing the habits and the details on a daily basis
0: so you got some awards on the off season with head coach and general manager how well did that feel getting recognized
1: well it was nice for our staff you know it's 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 strange that they awarded it to an individual when we know that it's a Coaching staff is just like a team itself. Uh, there's a lot goes into it. And it's not just the coaching staff. Here in Charlottetown, we've got uh and Kevin Henderson, who are wonderful assistant coaches. and We make all the decisions uh, as a group. We also had Kevin Elliott. We also had Andrew Spider-McNeil, who play a big part in our role. So there's really five of us on a daily basis. Paul Drew does a great job with the goalie. So it's nice when we have success that you know, I get recognized individually, but I really wish it was the Charlottetown Islander staff that got the recognition because it's a a group effort that goes into it. But you know what? It was nice to have success uh, recognized both for uh, our club and for our fans.
0: Definitely. And it's good since your team had such a great season. Unfortunately, you didn't get the result you wanted. But it seems like over since you even came in and just through the Islanders days that the fan base has been staring pick up. And I think it's coming. And that's definitely a good sight for um QMJHL hockey with Sheryltown Islanders and move on one of my last questions what do you love most about junior hockey you've done it for 20 plus years or about 15 years what t- brings you back every year
1: well there's a couple of things that I really love and I think we we touched on a bit of it it's the it's seeing a group come together it's seeing 22 individuals come in in August at training camp and then at the end of the year whether it's April, May, June, uh, seeing them together as one. And we've had some successes. We've had three teams that made to the Final Four. We're itching desperately to get to the finals. That, that's the next step for for us as a franchise, for our fan base. They deserve it. I think when the one thing we've done is we've, we've raised the bar on expectations. And I think that's what you have to have. I think you should expect to win a championship every year. You prepare that way and you push for it. So that's one of the things I love. And then on an individual basis, uh, we see guys come in as – really as boys as young teenage boys and then some of them stay for four and five years and they leave as men and it's really gratifying and it's, it's nice to see them go on to bigger and better things that's not just hockey it's nice to see them go in and get a university degree go on and become uh, great husbands great fathers successful parts of uh, the community and then to stay in touch you know we had some alumni events started prior to covid that hopefully we can resurrect because it was really really great to see the guys come back and their appreciation for the Islanders and for what a special spot PEI is.
0: Now, what would you say the main thing? You see so many players go on from junior hockey. What sets aside the ones that go from junior up to pro, like making HL and HL? What makes them that much better than everyone else?
1: Well, I think we go back to the lessons learned from watching the Crosbys and the Bergerons. And and when uh, you have elite-level talent and you have elite-level work ethic, uh, the talent God gives us, the work ethic can be acquired. And I think one of the big things in junior is learning how to match that together and make sure that you work hard and, you know, you're disciplined off the ice, you're in the weight room, you're eating properly, you're getting your rest. There's a lot that goes into it. But when you see the real pros, and it's eye-opening for guys when they leave junior uh, to see how single-minded, focused these professional athletes are and have to be to have success. And I think that's the one thing that the kids can understand at an early level don't worry about the individual points. That's not what's going to get you there. It's how do you control your own game? Or If a scout comes and watches every night, can he pick you out for how hard you work, for your tenacity, your never give up, your second, third, fourth efforts? Those are the things that really get noticed.
0: Do you think the hard work is half the reason why Ben Boyd got drafted? Because I see him as probably one of the hardest workers, if not the hardest worker every night. Would you say that's why?
1: Well, it definitely, it's a big part of it. I think in order to make the National Hockey League, you have to stand out in one or two categories. And for some guys, it's skill. Some guys, it's skating. For Ben, it's size and toughness. So the nice part of it, Ben, is Ben plays big night in, night out. He works hard. He finishes hits. He goes to the blue paint. And the, and those are commodities that are a little bit of a lost art in today's game. But every single team at our level and the next level is looking for guys that do that. So I think he's one of the ones, if he can master the, the details that we just talked about in terms of staying single-minded, focused on getting to the next level with, with work ethic, with commitment, with perseverance, with tenacity, he'll have a chance to have a successful pro career.
0: Final question of the episode. Thanks so much for coming on so far. Almost over, but the one that I can't leave out. I mentioned early in the episode, 2012-2013 lockout. It's not great when there's an lockout, but you got the honor of working with the top of the end guys, Thomas <laughs> That. If, for the listeners, that was my favorite player with Florida Panthers. But going in detail, he, Sidney Crosby, Steven Stamkos, the list—you can go on for years naming high-quality players in Florida. You worked with them all over the place. What was that lockout experience like?
1: Well, it was pretty incredible. And when you look back on things, just uh, you know, there's an old saying that God has a plan for everybody. And um, I was out of a job at that time, and what should have been one of the low moments in, in a career ended up with some incredible experiences. There was a youth Olympic opportunity that we all went to that as a family got to go to Austria, which would have never happened had I been coaching somewhere. And then as you mentioned, the Lockheed camp, a good friend of mine, Andy O'Brien, Prince Edward Island native, who has long been associated with Sid as a personal trainer, has been with the Pittsburgh Penguins. He was with the Florida Panthers as the strength and conditioning coach when I was there. He invited me to run uh, the on ice portion in Vail, Colorado, where they did some high altitude training. And it was incredible just to be around those guys on a more intimate basis and see how hard they work and how dedicated they're to the craft is something that I'll never forget.
0: Well, thanks so much for coming on, Dad. It was a great episode with you. And listeners, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed that. as head coach and general manager of the Charlotte Islanders, Jim Halton. Thanks for coming on.